This is Monocle on Design, a show where we unpack everything from architecture and craft to furniture and fashion. I'm Nick Manise. While Milan Design Week might have wrapped up, there was so much to see and do, we felt a reflection on the week that was, was worthwhile. We meet the architect who gave away a selection of her personal design pieces to the general public, stop into the trade hall with Luca Niketo, plus Ronan Burilek drops by our pop-up studio to tell us about his latest work. All that and more coming up on Monocle on Design. Hello and welcome to today's show and the second of our Milan Design Week specials. Given the Salone del Mobile trade fair closed on Sunday, with the global cast of designers boarding their flights shortly after, this show is more of a reflection on the week that was. Broadcast from our temporary home and pop-up studio in Milan, it's at the House of Switzerland, which was open to the public over the course of the week. I'm joined here by Ed Stocker, Monocle's Europe editor-at-large. Ed Stocker, welcome. Thank you. Now, you're, this is your home city, so you really you're having the Monocle contingent here for the, for the full week. Have we overstayed our welcome? Nick, I didn't want to say anything, but uh, when are you leaving? Uh, by the time this airs, I've already gone. Oh, so you're going, to be, go. you're going to be breathing easy. I want to ask you, you, you travel around a lot, but this is really your home base. What have been your takeaways for Milan and, and from the Design Week more broadly? Although I think some Milanese may get annoyed by the traffic and the people standing in the road in the evening, I think one big takeaway has actually been how good having this international crop of people in the city is. I think all those collaborations, all those mixing of people and cultures and genres, I think it's just really good for the city. You know, it's a metropolitan place, but it's still a very Italian city. And so having that influx of people from all over the world really leaves a mark. The beauty of the spaces here, the chance of people to see that, you know, you have those amazing internal courtyards, you have cloisters that are not always open to the public. So this chance for everyone to step in, even people who live here and see part of that world during Salone and Fuori Salone, I think is amazing. I think that's the beauty of it. So the aim of this reflection, I guess, is to look a little bit back about what people could take away from it. Is one of your takeaways, say, if you were organising a, a trade fair or a design week, if, if journalism didn't work out for you, which, you know, it's borderline at the moment. <laughs> if, if that happened, would you be looking to, looking to forgotten corners of the city to install events and not only bring good design in, but bring people into, I guess, forgotten spaces? I think, yeah, I think opening up those spaces is, is super important. And obviously, you know, we've talked about this before, Alcova is like the highlight of doing that, isn't it? They're amazing at doing that job of opening up those abandoned spaces and reactivating them but I think we also see that with lots of brands who've you know opened up spaces that aren't normally accessible even Palazzi these amazing buildings one of the takeaways for me has also been the fact that if something is beautiful enough and we've seen it from a lot of the things we've been seeing in the fair itself and in Fuori Saloni it will last that's the perfect segue into this first package, which you went, we went out and recorded. I mean, beauty is really in the eye of the beholder. Uh, and, and one of the great exhibitions at this year's Fiore Salone, or, you know, the Beyond Salone section was Take It or Leave It, which was a giveaway by the Italian architect Paolo Navone. Tell me a, a little bit about that. 
Yeah, so this was basically a sort of lottery. So people could go in and, and they could select and draw a number and basically go into a room and they'd be given a part of her collection. She sort of decided to give away. Uh, there were some of the things she'd actually designed herself, but also things she'd collected on her travels around the world. And afterwards, when we were speaking, she sort of said that she wanted to declutter her mind, as well as it being an act of extreme generosity. She also felt that, you know, she wanted to empty out her studio so she could refocus. And that was kind of interesting, this double reason for doing it. But a great idea, and it was super well received. Well, that sounds amazing, Ed. Let, let's hear from Paola Navone uh, and Spencer Bailey of The Slowdown, who collaborated with Paola on the Take It or Leave It exhibition. You think so? You're not sure. <laughs> Do I get a choice? No, either you take it or you don't. Yeah, I'll do it. Well, you grab it. What do you have? I'm not sure. Do you want to trade now? Uh, yeah, yeah. No, no trading. <laughs> no trading. Hi, hi, Spencer. So there are five rules. The first one is there will only be one number drawn per reservation holder or member of the slowdown with no redraws. So if you choose to leave it, you don't get another number. Reservation holders or members of the slowdown may enter the space individually or with up to groups of three guests. That's just crowd control. Number three is each participant agrees to be photographed and interviewed. We have a photographer at the end, so you will be photographed. And should participants choose to leave it, their number will also return to the bowl. The fifth rule, of course, is have fun and don't take yourself too seriously. Okay, so I'm going to have a go and put myself on the spot. Are you going to do the honours? And... No, you pick, you pick. Oh, I should do it. Okay, <laughs> here we go. I'll help you open it. So basically what I'm doing is I'm putting my hand into a giant sort of bucket, really, that has numbers that are inside a transparent plastic ball. I'm going to just put my hand right in the middle and take out a number, and I have number 912B. Okay, I'm following Spencer into the room. Ooh, is Paula gonna do it? <laughs> you can tell me if I should keep it or not, Paula. Uh-huh, what are you? Okay. Unmeet little porcelain with the two fish. This is like a pond to... Uh, uh, goldfish uh, ma- that's uh, supposed to make you happy. Well, if it's supposed to make me happy, I think I should keep it. It's a good luck ball. <laughs> well, in that case, there's not even any suggestion of leaving it. <laughs> I'll take it. My name is Paola Navone, and I'm an architect, designer. Uh, we are here today in my studio for uh, this project uh, that we decide to organize with Throwdown. I think we were in the beach talking with Spencer. We start to talk about discrepancy between good uh, habits, bad habits on collecting the garbage or polluting the world, etc. I say, listen, if we really believe that this is important, it's uh, tragic, but we have to stop uh, producing. Personally, I say I would, I would like to have an empty studio to start to plan for the future. You know, I always work and develop my project, going around collecting things and putting together idea, expensive, cheap. Uh, everything is going a kind of basket. There is no attention to the commercial value of uh, what I collect. Everything is very important for me in the moment I collect because I can pay a fortune for a piece of uh, cardboard, uh, 
collected in the street or not. So I say, I would like to have all this out of my life and then sit down and plan for future projects. What are we going to do? How are we going to work? That's it. And then I go back to Italy. He go back to States, whatever. I don't know. Two months ago, he's calling me. He said, hey, why we don't do a project on your idea to make the whole office empty? I said, okay, that's nice. Everybody was suggesting something. Make an option and blah, blah. Uh, selling like a yard sale. I said, listen, it's such a nightmare. Why we ju- just give away? Uh, give away was not so easy because... <laughs> I said, Paolo, you're crazy. We can't give this stuff away for free. It'll be gone in within an hour. <laughs> I said, why don't you give me a little time to think on it? And I came up with this idea of a lottery. But take it or leave it was her name. I, she needs to have credit for that because when she said take it or leave it, I immediately was like, that should be the name of this... Somebody asked, why you do that? What is the reason? The first reason is to do something nice and funny with a friend. So London and Mobile is about consumption. It's about brands. It's about selling. And obviously this is kind of the opposite of that. Who wants to comment on that? We came up with the idea of including a manifesto that I think is at the root of the exhibition, but we wanted the exhibition to be provocative and fun. We didn't want a manifesto to be the exhibition. The exhibition would then reflect a manifesto. And so you're leaving this idea of like, well, that was really fun. Like somebody was willing to give their incredible collection of things, that's somebody being Paola Navone, by the way, of objects away. And in the act of doing that, I'm now going to live a new life with this incredible object. Isn't that the definition of upcycling? Upcycling is something living anew, and that's what she's doing by giving these things away. And in that act, I think there's also this generosity of spirit that goes back to the very root of Paola and her work, which was radical design, radical thinking, thinking in a different way. If all these people are blah, 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 sustainability this, sustainability that, actually, I think the most radical act of sustainability is to look at what we have around us and to see how those things can then live new lives. Think about the power of a single object from this exhibition going into somebody's home. And every time they look at that object, they're now going to think of this special moment where they came in, took this thing off a shelf and said, I'll take it. Spencer Bailey and Paola Navone there in conversation with Ed Stocker. Next on today's show, it wouldn't be a Milan Design Week special without a visit to the Rofiera Trade Halls, where the Salona del Mobile Furniture Fair takes place. It's the headline act, and last week, more than 340,000 people streamed through its doors. Monocle's Grace Charlton was in that number and spoke with Luca Niketo, a designer who splits his time between Stockholm and Milan. Grace caught up with Luca at the Tonet stand at Salone, where they delved into the intricacies of the multidisciplinary designer's new chair for the Austrian brand and why he prefers Italian over Scandinavian design. Gerwunden Tonet is, of course, one of the most iconic company producing wooden chair. Bandit Wood is their core business, but they want to expand to have also the opportunity to have different materiality. And so we decide to create a dining chair 
that is a sort of reference of an old Hoffman chair produced by Tonnet, but we change uh, the material, so we use metal and not wood for the structure and the legs, but we want to maintain the same kind of design language that normally you have with the wood. And so the gesture is quite interesting because you have the arm that is becoming also the leg and is creating this very, very, in my opinion, feminine uh, curves. There was this idea in the past, especially for coffee chair, where the, the back was not just where you put your back, but was something that somehow allowed you to put also your arm, but it's not really an arm. So... It's a kind of hybrid situation, but I kind of like it. Sometimes looking back in what the big master in the past have done and trying to see if there is a little bit twist that is possible to actualize their interpretation and seeing if it's possible also to get to do something better on that. And. Uh, and I'm very, very happy about the result, also because if you look at the seat, looks almost that it's floating. You don't really see the structure. And so it's like a gem that is, you know, around, uh, it's almost like a jewelry in that sense. Living in Sweden, I'm sure Scandinavian design is seeping into your... Yeah. Practice. To me, there's Milan and then there's like Copenhagen. That's the next yeah, design yeah. city. So can you speak to that a little bit? I mean, it's quite funny because we talk about Scandinavian design. 70% of what we say Scandinavian design is from Denmark. <laughs> then you have a little bit of Finland, a little bit of Sweden, and almost nothing from Norway. So the main power in Scandinavia is for sure Denmark my opinion, that kind of design comparing with what we are seeing mostly from Italy is in that area of the world they are very into functionalism and price. Price is very important. But there is very few companies that produce in Denmark. They are producing China, East Europe, so there is not anymore really a manufacturing tradition there. Quality-wise also, in my opinion, is, mm. but it's true, because in the end, I think you pay what you get. There is a completely different approach. and doesn't mean that it's not correct one. I think it's just a different market, a different angle, different target. But maybe because I am Italian, I believe, especially talking about sustainability that is a topic that in Scandinavia is very hot they are very keen on that it's much more sustainable the Italian way to do design because when you are buying something you can live for the rest of your life for the quality of what you are buying it's true it's much more expensive but you don't need to change after five years because they have this more idea of an upgrade of what IKEA is. And in my opinion, it's not really sustainable. Also in Scandinavia, the second-hand market is huge. And most of the product that you find in the second-hand market is coming from 
product done in the 60s when this company was still producing in their country. Now everything is outsourced and outsourced to have more margin. So the customer, sometimes we need to re-educate the customer because for many years we were too spoiled. So you want something, you buy. And now that there are crisis, interest rate, inflation and stuff like that, I think it's also the moment to say, I really want that. I will save money to one day be able to buy that. So everything becomes also more aspirational. I think this will make the difference. That was Luca Niketo in conversation with Monocle's Grace Charlton. Welcome back to Monocle on Design and our Milan Design Week special. I'm Nick Manise. And I'm Ed Stocker. Nick, you caught up with Paris-based designer Ronan Borolek, I believe, in Milan. Oh, what has, has he been showing this week? Ronan has been a very busy man, uh, showing his work for a host of brands. In that number, you know, are textiles for the likes of Kadrat and Nanny Makina, uh, as well as some beautiful ceramic lights for the Italian lighting brand Floss. Busy man. He's very busy. The sort of thing where it makes me look like, geez, I could be eking a lot more out of my time and life uh, but I talked to him don't say that too loud <laughs> I know I talk, I talk to him about his process and how he works across so many disciplines this is uh, why I like this discipline so much is the fact that I can jump from a very craft uh, situation to an uh, extremely industrial one to work with a Japanese craftsman and the day after to be confronted to a machine that can produce a chair uh, in uh, one minute. So I think there is different way to consider object. I'm passionate by that and I think design is a question of context in which you need to invent, you need to be very empathic with a machine, with the people, with the, the ability of doing something great uh, with nothing or with a, a marvelous technique. I mean, you talk about design being all about context there. What do you mean by that? I guess you're designing a lamp which is going to be used in a host of different contexts. You're designing textiles that are going to be used in a host of different contexts. How does that factor in when you're making something that's then going to end up in a, a place that maybe you don't know about? I feel like an actor in a certain way, playing in different movies in which I try to be myself, but I need to be empathic with the situation. Then uh, I like to create material, for example, ceramic uh, brick or, or ceramic tiles or textiles. The fact that uh, it's raw materials that uh, architect, designer, interior people <laughs> will use in their way. And I, I, so sometimes I'm totally desperate when I see what's happened with what I have designed. And sometimes it's great, and, uh, but anyway, it's not anymore my problem. Then how does context feed into, I guess, what you're making? Are you considering the, the process that surrounds, say, you know, a Danish textile company or a Spanish textile company or an Italian lighting company? Are you considering the context that these products are going to be made in? Yes, of course, because uh, as designer, it's a discipline to serve, to serve people at the end, but to serve uh, a company and to try to uh, help them to do uh, better things. So you need to have a very precise analysis of uh, the situation. For example, the, the way um, Italian uh, weaving is different than the way uh, Norwegian are weaving. So both are 
high quality, but uh, it's very important that you do not ask something extremely precise uh, that is totally possible in Norway. And, and in Italy, it will be more type of yarn, a type of weaving. We produce something more rough and full of beauty, but in a different way. I mean, tell me about the, the making process for these Kadrap fabrics from, from Denmark. I like textile and passionate by that, but it's really a discipline by itself. So there is engineers, there is a, a textile de- developer because it's extremely complex and I'm not intelligent enough to understand the complexity of weaving. So I have some idea. I know where I want to go, but I don't know exactly how to build it. Uh, it's very different from a chair. I know when I have to design the a chair that uh, it would be uh, geometry that I will fix together. can mentally uh, build uh, the object uh, myself. Textile is too complex, especially here. It's a Jacquard collection. It's uh, 12 yarns that are <laughs> working together. It's quite complex. Is there a benefit to not knowing to your work? I started very young when I was 19 and I never worked for nobody in a design studio or architect studio. It means that I have to learn a lot, and I was alone. I liked so much this uh, naive position. Now I'm becoming to be a specialist, and I hate specialists. I was just totally uh, free of uh, of knowledge. <laughs> Sometimes knowledge is very interesting, but I really like uh, being confronted to questions that I never faced before. That was Ronan Buralek. The Monocle Daily wraps up the day in Europe every weekday at 1800 London time. Every edition of the show features panellists from the Daily's rota of experts. Those big questions are always important when it comes to politics. Plus reports from Monocle's correspondents around the world. Some hope Sunday marks the end of a chapter in Chile's recent history. And interviews with authors, politicians and pundits. It's kind of a ghost story, but you're not really sure. And also listen out for the Daily's On This Day historical feature and Henry Reese Sheridan's Letters from New York City. Unless you work at a bin factory, you don't get to see too many brand new bins in your life. The Monocle Daily, taking a wider, deeper and occasionally lighter look at the news. Finally on today's show, we're heading to New York to visit Yabu Puschelberg. The design studio showed seven new furniture and lighting projects at this year's Salone del Mobile, each representing a collaboration with an established European designer. It worked with the likes of Marset and Boffy. Founded by Glenn Buschelberg and George Yabu in Toronto in 1980, the firm has expanded into a globe-straddling studio working across buildings, interiors, landscapes, lighting, products, styling and branding. They're busy boys. Henry Reese Sheridan recently paid a visit to the company's New York City office to speak to Glenn and George about their work at Salono del Mobile. He began by asking Glenn about Yabu Puschelberg's origin story. We grew up in Toronto, went to uni- met a university after university, ran each- into each other on the street, decided to be chair of studios, and we kind of organically started a little practice with nothing. Yeah, so there wasn't any uh, grand plan. And, and I think that's one of the secrets of how we're still practicing and surviving today because there wasn't a strategy, a conscious strategy to create a studio together. It just happened by sheer serendipity or whatever, or fate, I don't know. But walking on that street, reconnecting a couple of years 
after graduating, say, hey, what's going on? And I said, you're looking for studio space too? So am I today, right at this moment. So it was a really interesting uh, intersection where we met, right? It was about a passion of, of creating and doing things. It's so funny when we started pre pre-computers, uh, we would start a pencil drawing, George would start one end, I would start the other, and Eliza would be in the middle, it would be one drawing. Now there are two people with the line weights or style of the weight or anything, there is no, oh yeah, there's George and that's Glenn on this side. And it was originally framed as uh, an interior design. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, we began as an interior design practice. I mean, that's what we went to school for. Ten years ago, we thought, oh my gosh, the furniture would be so much better if, if, some, if there, were, there was a separate expertise. So we found industrial designers. There's good schools in Canada. We hired an industrial designers. George has a natural eye for that. So we just started designing furniture. Furniture got so good looking, we started showing it to some of the big product makers in Italy, and all of a sudden, after 10 years, now we've got this great uh, product um, team with George and doing beautiful furniture. You know, it sounds like, if, if, if you're listening to this tape, it would sound like, oh yeah, they were, maybe they were clever, or maybe it was an accident, they were thinking about a passive income. Not when we started. We just loved the fact that we want to design beautiful objects that work. And that, and that was it. But then it became an entity on its own. And I think one of the reasons why it was so strong and resonated with the makers around the world was because we had a dedicated team that was trained and they had education specific to industrial design. It wasn't an interior designer or an architect building a chair. The other thing, which I think is totally enriching in our studio, is that going from interior designers, hiring industrial designers, said, oh, let's hire a textile designer. Oh, a different expertise. We learned from that person, they learned from us. And then we hired people that were doing the decorative arts, more styling and stuff, had a very special layer. And then we hired a lighting people, so we have lighting consultancy. And we also have architects, we're not practicing architecture, but, but the building form of design, especially in things like resorts, we have impacted. So to us, this is where we're at today, which is our future, and it's this collective of interesting design professionals working together. Let's talk about Salone, yeah. both the specific collections that you're uh, bringing this year and also what the, uh, what the event means to you and has meant to you. You know, it's funny, Europe in general has kind of been at the last frontier that people are starting to know who we are and we've kind of been focusing on that. And I think the product design, especially came, came out of Italy, and, uh, Italy, France and Belgium and now Copenhagen where we're working is actually gotten our name front and center sooner because products are faster to market rather than interiors. But it's all self-propelling and it gives us greater reach and meeting all kinds of new people in Europe. I think the pro product design in a weird way also gives you kind of, not that it's important, just but there's greater respect within our industries. I don't know what it is about product. In Canada, we have that heritage of really good solid school for making. crafting, making, and uh, you know, fabricating, but there's no market because the market, local market is so small and the cost structure has been taken over at lower prices from overseas. And we're going to thread this thing to um, the, what I'm going to say to uh, Lorenzo Orosio, the founder and owner of Family Business Glass Italia. And we did his first piece for him three years ago. And at the end, it was a very successful presentation. He got the approval. And while I was waiting for my car, he asked me, so how long have you been designing furniture? 
almost 18 months, <laughs> and I thought he was, he, he did look visibly alarmed because the Pierrelozonis and the Trichotrial and that, that, they were honing their craft for a long time to do these things that we are doing at that level. He rationalized it from some. He says, well, that makes sense because you're coming from America and you have that strong design people, many opportunities for architects there. We produce more architects and industrial designers in Italy, interesting enough, but we don't have enough buildings for them to give commissions to them other than these long-term restorations. So there's not much opportunity. So they were forced to design furniture for us because there's nothing for us to do in terms of building a building. And then we're coming in on the other way and saying, Oh, we've got lots to do, but this is an interesting thing. We're going to go across the pond in the other direction, go and design stuff. Our background with our team has a solid footing of industrial design education, was their designers of furniture, architecture designers. So I said to them, what's the difference? Yeah, really. The shocking you know, thing is, solving. Yeah. the shocking thing is, well, I guess not shocking, but I mean, there's a, there's always regional biases or national biases and stuff, but there's nobody that really assumed that uh, North American or American designers can create as good a product as the Europeans do. But that's fine. It makes us even more proud. Yeah. Yeah. Glenn Pushelberg and George Yabu there. And thanks to Henry Rees Sheridan for fielding that conversation. And that's all for today's show. Ed Stocker. Thanks for co-hosting. Or I'll, I'll let you co-host a little bit. I still wanted to do some on my own. I like that. Uh, thank you. And, and thank you for hosting us in your home city. I mean, do you, do you have any tips for people visiting in April 2024? Well, obviously read the Salone del Mobile newspaper from Monaco, which will give you excellent advice about what to do. I want to almost say two things that contradict each other. One is plan a little bit in advance some of the things you really want to see and make sure you see them. But I also think allow yourself to wonder and discover because there is so much on and there's no doubt it's going to grow even bigger next year. So allow yourself to wonder and discover and make sure you talk to lots of random people. Well, for the next 50 weeks, Ed, <laughs> we've got plenty more design stories coming at our listeners. Uh, and and if, you, if you do want extra, we have a five-minute midweek bonus show, Monocle on Design Extra. It's out every Thursday here on Monocle Radio and available wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, if you enjoy print, then pick up a copy of our dedicated design newspaper, the Salone del Mobile Special. I guarantee you it's still relevant. There you it's go. It's on all good newsstands now. My thanks to David Stevens, Desiree Bandley and Maylee Evans for their production work on today's show. I'm Nick Manise, and if you want to get in touch, you can reach me at nm at monocle.com. Ed, do you want to drop your email in there? Sure, why not? EJS at monocle.com. <laughs> I'll wait news. For now, goodbye and thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>